Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Lord, Lord of mercy. All night, Sunday, Central. Follow me now. Say, I think it's the rolling hip hop. Say, Jay Rolls is the rolling hip hop. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Created for Marketers by Marketers podcast. My name is Billy Louisu, and we've been working hard to find marketing topics which will help you level up your skills and that will blow your mind. Today is episode 10 of season two, and the topic for today is life after cookies. We'll be discussing the slow death of the cookie, the first party data opportunity, and the big brave new world for digital advertising. My guest for today. It's Peter Ribara, Product Solutions Lead for AdTech at global leading CDP company Amperi. Peter's 10 years in AdTech across multiple teams, ad operations, data science and analytics, business development, and now product strategy and innovation. His current role is crafting Amperity's AdTech strategy and working with clients to prepare for a post-cookie and privacy first ecosystem. Good afternoon, Pete. How you doing, bud? Doing well. How are you doing today, Billy? I'm I'm fresh, mate. It's uh, it's a great morning here in Melbourne, and uh, the skies are blue. Should I say, pouring down with rain? But it sounds like you're on the other side of the world, and it's the afternoon, and you have a bit of heat going on. Uh, we do have a little bit. Thankfully, it's cooled off uh, at least a tiny bit over the last week, which has been nice. So I'm not immediately melting once I step outside. Which is great. <laughs> I was there. I was there for about thirty days, not too long ago, mate, and uh it was it was beautiful uh we do miss the heat here but that's what happens when you live on the other side of the world so mate thank you for joining um the topic of life after cookies is 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 fresh on people's minds a lot of people have been talking about it for some time but we're going to give it a very different flavor today and i'm excited by some of the things we're going to be talking about but before i do that uh it's important to understand your music tastes so marketers and music mate, what is your favorite album or music you listen to when you work um so I listen to a variety of music. I think it kind of depends a little bit on on the mood that I'm in or, or what I'm trying to focus on. Um, but the album that I probably go back to the most and I, and I like uh, the most is Kind of Blue uh, by Miles Davis. Um, not that I'm a music person. I, I can't like carry a note to save my life. Um, but <laughs> it was, uh, it's it's kind of like always that album that I can go back to and relax and just think and, and sit and enjoy, you know? Oh. Um, and from start to finish from uh, yeah from start to finish i've got like the vinyl i've got different versions of it um it's just it's something i enjoy doing like i'm from southern california so i'm always just trying to stay pretty relaxed <laughs> and so yeah. that that helps me do that is uh you play any instruments or is it you you, you just love oh, no. jazz no no i don't i don't i don't play anything um you can ask my wife like i'm i'm pretty sure i'm tone deaf <laughs> so no I, I i played sports growing up i was not in the music or the arts uh yeah and in, in, in anything like that so my, my siblings did but i did yeah not. yeah man i i got a massive appreciation for the trumpet and and the and the blues and when i was in chicago i, I was lucky enough to go to a, a blues bar and a jazz bar and um first track they were playing when i walked in was a mile davis track and um I don't, I don't listen a lot to him, but now that you've kind of brought it up, I'm like, man, I really should get, get onto that and put it in my playlist. Cause just the instrumental vibe, it's just, it's easy to chill and listen to and work to. Yes, um, it is. Cool. For sure. Different flavor, man. Well done. Uh, I, I, I get, sometimes I get, you know, 
all sorts of all sorts of music tastes, but uh, I appreciate yours. All right, let's jump in. So the topic today, life after cookies, mate. Um, I want you to introduce yourself to me. And I want you to give us a bit of an overview of why this topic of life after cookies is relevant to you and the journey you've been on of your career that's helped you get to the place you are today. Yeah, for sure. Well, other than, uh, let's say, it being a primary responsibility of the role I'm in now, <laughs> I, I would say that, you know, over the over the course of my career, um, including when I was at uh, my previous company, um, you know, given all the changes and the disruption that's, that's going to be happening and is happening within digital media, uh, you know, the, the importance of the role of first party data has constantly been changing. Um, the, the coming privacy changes, uh, the coming regulations, uh, and even just changes in consumer behavior, right, from, from ad blocking or using browsers that, that don't allow third party tracking. Um, I think the thing that's interesting to me is we as marketers know that first party data is extremely important. It's going to have a role to play. Um, but what that looks like is, is still, they're still got to get figured out. Um, and that kind of like ambiguity, that kind of uh, problem solving, I just, I really enjoy doing. Uh, and I think that, you know, the, the good thing that, that I get to do at Imperity is, is working with some of the leading brands and, and our clients and partners uh, in this space to, to kind of figure out what that can look like, right? There's a lot of moving parts. Um, there's, there's goals that have to be hit and you have to keep in mind all the, all the changes as it, relate, as it relates to consumer privacy and, and I, even their, <laughs> you know, the needs that, or the desires that they have as it relates yep. to their relationship with brands. Um, and so there's a lot to kind of think through. And, and I, as personally, I've, I've always kind of liked those challenges and problems. And so, you know, as I kind of think through this, I, you know, in my role today, I get to kind of sit and, and think through that and, and work with some, of, like I said, some of our partners on, on what the future of this can look like. Um, and, that, and that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, there's a lot of companies and, and, and marketers who are, are just haven't had to th think about creating an audience they've always thought about just renting an audience through through platforms and and other partners that they've got and you know a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking to today is about well where do you start how do you get there what is the type mm -hmm. of process you need to put in place so the first question i have for you which is the one that uh that just keeps the dates that keep changing so google has delayed the removal of the third party cookie now until 2024 and talk me yep. through like what do, why and what does this mean yeah so i think that um there's a, there's probably multiple reasons why but as you kind of look through this uh google has been working especially within i would say specifically within the uk their their competition and market authority uh like their, that group or the industry regulation not that i'm an expert in that space but when you look mm -hmm. at it um they announced the the delay again of the cookie deprecation in the same week that they released their updated um findings as it relates to to the obligations that they have to the UK's CMA, right? And right. so I think that Google is, is trying to kind of play a lot of different roles to different people. Um, and not that I have, let's say, sympathy for the position they're in, they're <laughs> totally fine uh, from when it comes to their revenue. But I think, you know, as they kind of go through this, there's there's a lot of things that they got to consider. And and really, they're the, they're the last browser with Chrome that still allows the third party cookies. And there's a massive industry that 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 is that needs them right mm -hmm. and so as the as the kind of innovation and development that we'll talk through a little bit continues to, continues to progress um i think google heard has continued to hear feedback that more time is needed uh that they need want to ensure that there's you know competition that there's a, a fairness and once the cookies go away 
you know, are, are people going to have solutions that they can go and tap into, right? And so mm -hmm. as I kind of thought through and really spoke with some clients and partners as it relates to this uh, particular delay, for me, it was a little bit less that relief. Like I think the first time they did this, there's just a lot of relief within the industry. Like, oh, thankfully we, we have more time. We can do something. We can yes. figure Thank out you, what's Google. next. Yeah. Yes, that's that was very much it. And I think this one is a little bit more um, indifference, the right word. But I think, you know, those that are that are working on innovations that are looking to prepare for that for that post cookie privacy world, they're going to continue that work. Right. Like this isn't changed much for them. Um, mm -hmm. And then for those that aren't or that are just kind of waiting to see what solutions pop up, they're probably in the same boat. I, I think that this announcement, um, less of a surprise, a little bit more apathy towards it. And and, you know, it's just uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, because I think that they're as opposed to last time where people, again, were kind of relieved by this. I think there are projects and innovations and ideas that are out there that are going to kind of propel um, the work that brands are doing in the space. Got it. Got it. So you're saying that that the delay, there's multiple factors why the delays happened. There's there's multiple stakeholders that Google's trying to uh, please here, but the brands originally were relieved by the extension. Now they're already taking it in their own stride to try and not be so reliant on the cookie. So you're seeing a lot of innovation in this space, regardless of the dates that Google are throwing out. Yeah, I think that that's right. Awesome. And I think that, yeah. And, it, and you know, there's, there's reasons for that too, right? Is um, even though Google announced the delay, uh, it obviously depends on the supply sources that you're looking at, but hmm. in the U S specifically, right? Like a third party cookie can maybe reach 50 to 60% of the U S population. Right. Um, because yeah. Chrome is still, again, the only one that allows them. And so it's really their market share. But if I use a Safari or if I use a Firefox as a, as a, as an internet browser, I'm not reached with third party cookies. And as I think through that 40 hmm. to 50% of the people out there that I want to target with digital ads, I can't reach with third party cookies now, Correct. regardless Correct. of whatever cookie does um, or whatever Google does. Right. And so um, I think because of that, that's what's also driving the, the kind of progress that people are, are looking to tap into. It's mm -hmm. um, regardless of the moves that Google decides to make or delays that they decide to, to kind of announce, um, there's a significant opportunity out there too. How do I take an advantage of the people I can't reach through the kind of older traditional means and, and what can I do to, to reach them? Because um, they're going to be important to my marketing efforts. Yes. Yeah. So I listen to and read a lot of content and and Gary V had this this term. Uh, I, this is about five years ago. I heard him say that it's like Tom and Jerry, right? You know, the market is the cat and, and the audience are the mice. And the job for the market is to find where the mice are, where the mice playing and go and approach them. Oh, well, you know, swarm them. And traditionally, that's exactly where they were, right? They were through social platforms, they were on online, all looking at e-commerce sites, trying to buy things. So we would sell that ad as a as a placement and a marketing team can go pay and bid on that ad and and, and just like the cat, find where the mice are. But today... I don't know how many marketers actually even are aware of the 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 match rates or the types of mice, where they are, because you're right, like Firefox and a lot of these platforms have already removed the cookie. So who, who are you talking to? Just the audience that's through Google? Does that actually, is that actually your customer? You know, is that the best way to talk to them? So yeah, you're right. These changes are happening for the betterment of the industry. And um, it's good to see that, you know, products and, and initiatives are being 
created to to solve this this problem for brands. So the next question I have is around, you know, we hear the term first party versus third party data in ad tech. Break like break it down to me for 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 a novice that's going to be listening. What do you what do you mean? Um, and then in particular, like who will win and what will matter most from today moving forward? Yeah. So when we when we talk about first party data. It could really be anything um, that a brand or marketer can collect directly from their customers, right? Um, and that could be an email address that someone puts in for a newsletter, or I've made a purchase and provided some information uh, as part of that purchase. It could be, uh, you know, my I have visited the site in my browser and you've dropped, you know, like let's say a first party cookie onto it. And so that way, you know, the next time I come back, uh, it, you know, things like remembering what's in my cart or what my mm-hmm. user preferences are, right? Like those are all examples of first party uh, data. Um, and I think the key with that is it's the data that you can collect as a result of the relationship that you have or are establishing with the customers um, that are visiting your property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, on the flip side, it's it's third party data. It's any kind of let's say outside organization or entity um, that's either working with you or uh, a handful of other uh, marketing uh, or marketers or publishers or anything like that. And is collecting that data, but does not own the property that, that they are collecting that data from. So if I have like Got a it. third party pixel, I'm a marketer. I, I know who's visiting that, but if I've allowed some outside company to place, you know, a tracking uh, pixel on my site, um, mm-hmm. that would be considered a third party. So like Got they it. don't own that relationship, um, but they can still collect and see that data. And then they're also doing that across a bunch of other sources as well. It could be online, it could be offline, um, but really they're they're collecting that the, their sources of data are not as a result of the relationship they have. It's a result of the fact that they are working with other companies um, to do that. So th- at a high level, that's kind of like the, the broad difference between first and third party data. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, sense. you know, when you, yeah. And then, so, when you talk about like, you know, who's going to win, right? I think ultimately um, that question will vary if you're a marketer, if you're on the publishing side, but it's going to be the people that that can not only collect that first party data. I mean, it, this isn't new in digital media, like the billions and billions of signals and blah, blah, blah. Like those, those large numbers, I don't think matter as much. It's going to be who are the people that can not only collect the first party data, um, but manage it and and pull out the right signals within it. Right. Mm-hmm. As we go to a world where where privacy is going to become a thing that as, as a marketer, I have to keep top of mind. Right. Like I'm going to have to earn that user's consent or that visitor's consent to to start doing this, which means that as you kind of shift towards that from an again in the U.S. from like that opt out to an opt in mm-hmm. world, um, the scale that I have on some of my my first party data assets, including my, my digital first party data assets, is probably going to drop pretty significantly. And so I need to be smart about the signals that I pull out within it, because I'm probably going to have to do some modeling. Um, I'm probably going to have to do some analytics off of smaller data sets. And so, you know, those that can come in and understand what are the important signals, which are the ones that don't really, you know, drive and add value. And how mm-hmm. do I how do I capture the value of that? And how do I work with partners? Because I think that's another big thing that you're going to have to do. Is how do I work with partners that help me unlock the value of the, the first party data that I have? Yeah. Um, and so really it's going to, it's going to come down to that. It's not just, Hey, go and get as much data as possible <laughs> on your customers. Yeah. Um, cause that's gonna, that's an experience thing, right? It's yes. going to be who can, who can do that while being mindful of what's important and, and yeah. what drives value for the organization. 
Yeah, well, the job the job of the marketer hasn't really changed. It's just now they've just got way more data that they need to be able to synthesize and derive insights from. You know, when Don Draper was in advertising, his job was still to do qual and quant research and figure out, you know, what um how people sit at a table to eat, right? So how you shape the source mm-hmm. bottle or how you target that Heinz ad to that demographic. We, we, we just now have an, an abundance of information that we need to unify and align to a certain audience or person if we can, which is what Amparity is great at, and then give you that insight to say, now here's what, here's what you should be able to do with it. And um, you're right. I mean, it's it's the opportunities there. It's who's going to who's going to manage that and invest in trying to synthesize through that information. So, yep. what if I'm a CXO or you know CMO, CTO, relevant? What questions should I be asking myself to see how reliant I currently am on renting data and not building my own first party data? Yeah, I think you know, starting kind of simply and, and even just doing an audit, right, of what data sources am I using for either advertising or insights and analytics? Um, and then just kind of asking the questions of which of those sources are things that I can own and operate or have some level of control over? And which of them are third party assets uh, that I that I am utilizing, right? I think third party data will absolutely have a role. Um, but the first and in, in, easiest question that I think that can be asked is, uh, am I using third-party data for lookalike modeling? Okay, because I need more scale or I need more reach um, across various activation channels. Like those those are gonna have those roles, but asking what what are the sources of those data sets? Mm-hmm. Um, are they using third-party cookies to collect that? Is some of their lookalike modeling based off of uh, mm-hmm. cookie data or utilizing some of that? Um, how am I targeting, you know, the users across various channels? I think just kind of starting with that simple question of understanding where you where your dependencies are, um, it could be a, a really big first step, right? Because once you can know that, then you know how to kind of set priorities of where you want to test and learn. I think mm-hmm. that um, that that I think would be the, the second thing I, I would kind of recommend is what are the priorities if is if now if I have this understanding of what my of where my dependencies or my reliance on third party data assets is today, where where are the priorities of if I lost those things tomorrow, where would I want to test? Where do I want to mitigate my risk? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think being able to just prioritize that and then starting to go and, and devoting resources and, and people and time to say, hey, you know, we need to figure out what our solution is going to be once this goes away. Let's start putting some budget. Let's start putting some some resources behind testing about different ways to replace it. Yeah. Uh, there's not going to be a like for like replacement of the cookie. Um, it's just it's not coming. And yeah. I think that uh, once once people uh, acknowledge that, it means that they're going to have to go and find you know various solutions to solve various needs. And and I think being willing to to test against those while you still have the cookie to kind of benchmark against. Um, it's going to be increasingly important. So so hear me out here, Pete. I think I have another phrase or term that's going to replace the word cookie. And it's a delicious treat and it's the donut, right? Okay. Now I'm a dad. It's a terrible joke, but it's in the shape of a zero, right? And we talk about collecting zero yep. party data and first party data. I think it's got a ring to it, you know, so you can have that idea, mate. That's yours. But um, <laughs> thank you. I can't wait ter- to bring that to the American market. <laughs> <laughs> Useless facts 101 by Billy Louisa yep. on his podcast. All right. 
So, um, yeah, look, I, I, I completely agree. You know, you know, audit and start doing some testing and understanding the points, uh, the data that you're going to lose through the deprecation of the cookie and, and third party. And then the extension of that would be, you know, what matters most to your customers, right? Like what are the things that influence their buying decision or influence their loyalty to your brand about the way that you communicate with them? And they're the data sets you need to start collecting and figuring out how Pete has said, through those experiences, how you collect them. So good insight there, mate. So what brands, like what brands should care about the changes and what brands do you believe can capitalize on this opportunity? You know, you mentioned that it's impacting publishers, right? Because a big part of their businesses was based on the third-party cookie tracking. Um, mm -hmm. And now like what, like what brands should be going, wow, this is actually a awesome opportunity for us, right? We now have an opportunity to do something and have a leap on the market here uh, before anybody else can. Just what what are your what are your senses there? Uh, I mean, the short answer and the fun answer is like which brands is is really it's all of them. But I think the reasons why they should care uh, are going to vary depending on on where you sit and depending on the first party data asset that you you can access, right? Um, so as you you know, starting with let's let's see. You know who who can really take advantage of this, and and I look at some of the big box retailers that are out there um, that are starting to bring their own retail media networks to market, uh, mm -hmm. and and I think that you know they have a reason to care because what they're seeing is, hey, there's a lot of marketers out there that would love to know that they bought this specific brand at my store, right? Mm -hmm. And how can I how can I put ads in front of those consumers? How can I provide data on those consumers? Um, in lieu of the fact that there's going to be a, a loss of visibility as a result of the third-party data uh, assets that it will be impacted by the cookie deprecation, right? And so mm -hmm. when you look at this um, from that retailer's perspective, I think what they're looking at and what they're seeing, uh, obviously, by given the proliferation of them, is just the monetization opportunities that are there. Uh, mm -hmm. Even And even if you were to still be able to access some third-party data assets as, let's say, like a CPG brand, um, if I'm working with a retail partner and I'm working with a third-party data partner, like fundamentally, one of them is going to tell me, hey, we think this person, based on the data that we own, uh, the third-party data partner is probably going to say, we think that this person's a DIYer or we think they're in market for uh, remodeling at their home. Mm -hmm. um, but then if you were to go to work with like a big box, let's say home improvement retailer, they're going to know for a fact that they bought this brand at this time uh, and that they're actively yep. looking for these things. Correct. Like, Correct. Regardless of if the cookie goes away, right? Like the quality difference within that is significant mm -hmm. and it's important. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so I think as I look that, at it from a retailer's perspective, it's how do I capitalize on that? And how do I showcase that my unique view of my customer? Uh, it's kind of like a data moat, right? Like only they know that. And I think it, it's going to come down to how do they, how do they showcase that and how do they, again, unlock the value of what that can mean to their CPG partners. Yes. Yeah. That topic, retail media networks, let's jump into that. But what you've just explained is exactly the value and the accuracy behind first party data, right? Data. So publisher headline, right? Um, Pete watches home improvement videos. Great. Maybe he's a tradie, right? So maybe he's yep. not renovating, but we're going to sell that audience as if Pete's renovating. And then you've got big box retailer over here that says, Pete has just bought a drill, a hammer, uh, a whole bunch of things to demolish your kitchen. <laughs> and, yep. 
and a whole set of new splashback tiles. We know he's renovating, right? There's a complete difference, right? The signal, one's weak, one is so high that if you were that big box retailer, you know, let's just say, you know, Bunnings, right? If anyone from Bunnings is listening, the opportunity here is to say, well, hey, all of the merchants you've got that sit underneath that, that, that your, your business that sell through you, that's the monetization opportunity. And that's the way that you can bridge the relationship between your brands that you sell and your first party data. Great insight, man. Super helpful. Yeah, no, it, it's exactly right. And I think, you know, even as you kind of like, I, you, you called out the publisher example there, right? But there's going to be a lot of publishers who, uh, you know, again, once, once that third party cookie goes away, like they also lose the signal that made their inventory valuable, right? Uh, that have made it so like, hey, I, I, I as a marketer, I'm willing to pay a higher price because I believe I'm getting my ad in front of the right the right consumer. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, as you look at some of like these big box retailers, they, the obvious relationship is going to be with their CPG brands. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I think as you kind of, uh, as they kind of grow that business out, it's going to be really interesting to see which retailers are working with which publishers or ad tech partners to kind of merge the best of both worlds, right? Like publishers still have a role to play. They have valuable inventory. They've got good places. They've got a lot of eyeballs. How do I merge that with the data of a retailer to say, even if though this person isn't directly on the retailer site, we know that they are in market and we want to target them when they are not on the retailer site. And I think those kind of relationships that are um, going to basically combine publisher, you know, let's say views and inventory with high mm-hmm. value data assets, which is what you see in ad tech with third-party cookies today. Correct. Um, I think those relationships will be really exciting too, because there's a clear value exchange there um, yeah. as far as like the publisher has a lot of, has a lot to bring. And so does the retailer with their first party data assets. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of roles that they, you can think through on that front. And there's a lot of mm. opportunity. And I think it's just going to be who, who capitalizes on that and who does that well. Yes. Yeah. I have seen a lot of publishers who are starting to create really great experiences on their site to collect that zero party intent data. And I think that that's, that's the model moving forward for them. I think they've really got to try and flex on um, how they create that value to collect that information. But you're right. If they can start working with their retailers and brands that are, you know, that, that, uh, that publish through them, there's a, there's a heap of opportunity here. It's just slightly flipping the model upside down. Totally. Um, so what actions can brands take in the cookie list era to connect with their customers? You mentioned a few, right? Some, some themes that you've spoken about, and I want to drill into them in a little bit more detail, right? You spoke about data collaboration, spoke about data monetization through retail media networks. There's another one, which we're going to jump into, but let's talk through those first, right? Let's talk about data collaboration. Sure thing. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, obviously if, uh, especially within the last, let's say, 12 to 18 months, um, we've seen a bunch of clean rooms and clean room offerings come into play, right? And I think that, again, it's it's just really, once you can have a good understanding of the first-party data asset that you own, you should also be able to understand where the gaps are within that, within that data, right? Mm-hmm. I have a really strong view here, but I, I don't know as much about my consumers uh, over, over there. And yeah. so which partners can I collaborate with? Maybe it's publisher partners um, saying like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, what do they what do they view? What are they reading? What are they engaging with when they're on a publisher site? Uh, maybe it's with retailer or other kind of uh, other kind of like uh, merchant websites that can show me more information on, you know, how how are they engaging with ads? How are they when are they mm-hmm. looking at them? Are they converting? 
Uh, am I thinking about you know things like measurement and attribution? Um, and I think that those data collaboration environments um, are going to be increasingly important. Uh, I think ultimately, you know, to put it succinctly, like third-party cookies allowed allowed marketers to kind of be lazy for a long time, right? I didn't mm. have to worry about how I what I knew about my consumers because I could use this third-party cookie to understand that they're in market for this, they browse that, and mm. they're they're going to be out here, and I could target them in all these different ways. Yeah. As that goes away, I have to be proactive in how I in how I think through that. And I think this ties back a little bit to that innovation concept we talked about earlier. It's um, what data collaboration partners can I can I be working with? Like the technology mm -hmm. now is there for us to for for marketers to work together with some key partners in a way where they're not directly sharing, uh, you know, information as far as like you can do this in a privacy friendly way. Yep. Um, but I think, again, it's it's recognizing who are those collaborators that I should be going and working with? How can I do this? How do I test this? Uh, how do I learn about this? And are there insights that I can that I can glean from these types of relationships that I didn't have before? Yep. Um, but it, yep. again, it requires kind of leaning in a little bit on, on the data collaboration front. Um, but we're seeing this quite a bit, uh, especially within the imperity world of the opportunity is there. If I, again, if I have a valuable data asset and I can showcase this through data collaboration environments and say, hey, look at the insights we can provide on your consumers, mm -hmm. right? Now I can so and say, hey, you should be working more closely with me, CPG brand. I'm a retailer. You should be working more closely with me because I'm going to give you more information around your consumers and how you can activate and, and reach them. And I think yep. we're still early days on that front, but we're going to see more and more of that because the opportunity is clearly there. Yep. And the, and the, and the term that you use there was data clean rooms, right? So that's the, the the clean room meaning first party data from brand A, first party data from brand B come together in a secure data environment to do that matching and connection so you can understand those gaps. Like that's that's the that's correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the that's what it means, right? Yes, that's absolutely right. Uh, and, you know, just to like, there are, you're going to see like also different types of data clean rooms. Um, let's say from mm -hmm. like the big uh, advertising platforms of the world, Facebook, Google, Amazon, mm -hmm. they've launched their versions of what they call clean rooms. Mm -hmm. Those are slightly different in the sense that that's just, you know, they're going to make it, they're going to make their data available. Uh, like yep. If you spend advertising dollars with them, they'll make their data available so yeah. you can do the measurement work that you've done previously. Um, so that is a type of clean room, but when we really talk about data collaboration, it's less, it's less that relationship with these big advertising platforms and more what you talked about, Billy, it's just yep. brand A, brand B, retailer A and CPG brand B, they yep. want to collaborate and they want to share data, but you know, there's not a full thing. There's not a full sense of trust between them. Like, Hey, I, I want to share this, but I'm not going to give you all the information for, Correct. for us to just, you know, pass it back and yep. forth. So Correct. like, that's, that's, I think where the, the clean room, uh, the claims that you, that you and I are talking about right now yes. is, is really built yeah. around that to drive the Correct. insights. Yep. Well, look, I speak with I speak with you know business leaders all the time, and and they know that the data they have about their customers is 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 extensive, and they know their customers better than than a than a a, a Google and a, and a and a Facebook does. But the the challenge is yeah, finding those other brands and relationships where you can create trust and, a, and, a, and a actually have identi identifiable data on who your customers are. I, I think that's the the next evolution of the effectiveness of clean rooms is just being able to go back to the point we mentioned earlier, manage that data and synthesize and, and augment it in a way that you actually have enough information against every consumer that you've worked with or have in your database. So 
data monetization, um, the 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 word of today, retail media networks. Um, just again for for everyone who's a novice, break that down for me. What what does that what does that mean? Sure. So when we're when we're talking about retail media networks, it's really um, you know if I if I'm visiting a retailer as a as a customer and I've searched for I don't know hammers because I'm doing that kitchen renovation and I need to knock a bunch of things out right. <laughs> if I see like a sponsored ads or sponsored search, you've seen this like probably quite a bit uh, as as a as a consumer as you're shopping, you're seeing more of that. Um, the availability of that ad inventory. Uh, for a retailer's on-site properties is an example of, of that retail media network, right? Like how can I create more of those ad opportunities? How can I tap into my first party data asset? What do they know about me, Peter Ibarra and what I'm in market for uh, to know like, hey, this ad should be put in front of him as opposed to this other one, right? Yeah. Um, and as, as the again, as a third party cookie kind of uh, continues to deteriorate, um, like that, that is a very valuable asset, not just from the data side, but from the inventory side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking for a specific product and then I see a brand pop up, that's like, Hey, that looks really good. And it's a sponsored display. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really good bottom of funnel tactic for marketers to, to get in front of me and, and to make me think like, Oh, Hey, that's something I should be considering. So as retailers build out that offering, um, it's going to be, Inclusive of obviously that that on-site, uh, maybe some email, uh, but we'll see that extend uh, even further as as they continue to mature and say, hey, I'm not going to only serve ads on on my website on you know let's say like a Walmart.com, but I'm going to use mm-hmm. my data, work with publisher partners or or ad tech partners, and say we can now we can now uh, target those consumers across across the programmatic web, right? And Got so it. retail media um, is is evolving. Uh, it's still like I would say early days. Most of what retailers are talking about today is still their on-site stuff, but that's that yep. will increasingly adapt and change. Perfect. Yeah, yep. The the power of 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 that concept in itself um, is going to be exciting. It's going to be really exciting to watch and see some of the results that you guys are powering. Um, the next one was data incentivization. So you've got collaboration, sharing of data, monetization. You know, selling your data or not selling it, but you know making it more valuable uh, incentivization is the next one, which I think is we're seeing, and I'm not sure if you're seeing this a lot in the U S but a lot of brands trying to find out how they can get consent for customers to part with their data. And that's typically packaged up as a loyalty program. Are you seeing a lot of brands move into this loyalty proposition or figuring out a way that they can get you to part with your valuable data? Yeah, we've we've definitely seen you know these loyalty programs um, pop up quite a bit. I'd say it's probably still early days um, in the U.S. because that that consent requirement still isn't uh, you know fully implemented here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely going to still be those loyalty incentives, right? When mm-hmm. we were just talking about the, the retail media networks, um, you know, when you look at some of the releases uh, or the announcements, I should say, talking about new company retailers just announced their media ne- media network they're, they're going to cite their loyalty membership because they know they get richer insights they get richer data uh they get more they get more information that they can use to build customer profiles mm. um when they have those loyalty programs right yeah. uh, maybe i get some discounts i'm getting a value um as a consumer uh, and i think that we'll, we'll continue to see that evolve because it's it's not going to only be the the let's say the right or privacy friendly thing to do um, but we're, the brands are already starting to see that when they do that, 
um, it's an indication that that customer is probably, you know, um, a little bit more loyal to use the pun uh, to me uh, as a, <laughs> as a brand. Um, yeah. But I also can get richer insights on them. Uh, I can yeah. learn about them. I can see which, which offers work and which ones don't. Um, but I, I do think that as we go, especially in the U S as we go further um, and as we, really do shift from, again, that opt-out to that consent-based world. I, I yep. absolutely see this becoming a bigger priority and and brands learning how to to manage that consent, right? Like maybe I sign up and how do I prevent it so that I don't immediately unsubscribe, right? Like yep. those types of things are going to have to be thought about. Like how do I think about consent as it relates to a customer experience? Yep. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of brands move away from just transactional loyalty into rewarding mm-hmm. customers for sending us, you know, submitting, completing a survey or running a hundred miles or referring a friend, all these different types of signals that actually mean a customer could be more advocate and loyal than just because they've spent some dollars this week, especially over COVID, right? When people couldn't spend their money just as willy nilly as they, as they did prior. And even now in the, in the economic, you know, challenging, challenging environment we're in, brands need to think about other ways to incentivize their customers. And, and, and that's the, um, the power of the types of information that you can collect and how you can use that to continue to innovate and, and, and build a product or a service that your customer cares about. Um, you know, health insurance, I'm seeing them do that. I'm even seeing like shoe retailers that have figured out, uh, you know, a way to build in like skateboarding and and bike riding into their program. So it's it's super cool. Love the space, but um, lots more to come. So the last question I have for you before we phase out. So we talk about the data. Let's talk about the measurement, right? So businesses care about improving, you know, we call it CAC, customer acquisition cost and lifetime value. Like how do these solutions above drive results? And, and what are you seeing? And how do you think the best way to measure them? is yeah so measurement measurements let's say it's it's a fun question uh i think that especially especially in the u.s where there's still so much reliance on that third-party cookie um you know you you read a so the iab uh is an ad tech industry working group you know in their data report earlier this year um their big call to action to marketers was hey measurement as you know it it you know once the third-party cookie goes away measurement as you know it is over you have to start rethinking what that means. Um, how are you going to continue to to drive measurement? How are you going to continue to understand what your true customer acquisition costs are, right? And so, mm-hmm. as I kind of look through again um, some of the things that we discussed, whether it's clean rooms or whether it's working more directly with some of the like let's say activation channels and, and being able to share data, but getting again that value exchange back, uh, or I'm thinking about investing in retail media networks, right? Like. All those environments are based off of first party data that is not necessarily dependent upon a third party mechanism to do the measurement. I can get measurement in a retail media network because they can serve the ad and then see if that customer made a purchase online or in store, right? Mm -hmm. And again, not that those processes are clean or fully ready to go yet. Um, They're not, they're still a work in progress, but it's all to kind of start thinking through like what are the measurement opportunities that I can can think about. Um, But as a marketer, that that fragmentation is not going to make it, uh, let's say, easier for me, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm working with five different retailers who all offer media networks, they're not going to openly and willingly share data with each other to make it so <laughs> that I can do my measurement easier, right? No. Like, that's not going to happen. That fragmentation yeah. is going to become uh, increasingly a problem. Like, it, and then ad tech already has quite a bit of it, and so it comes back to 
how can I have a really clean understanding of my customer data? How can I make sure that that asset is as, you know, it's unified, it's deduped. I know that when this customer is doing something that it's, it's actually that, you know, that unified view of that customer, because mm -hmm. I may have to go and activate against them in various channels. And I have to somehow tie that all back together. Now yeah. the cookie allowed me to, to kind of let that be an external thing that I didn't have to worry about. Um, but as we move ahead, that that's not gonna that's not gonna hold true anymore. I'm gonna have to take more control of that as a marketer, and I'm gonna have to understand. Maybe I'm working with two clean room partners and five retail media networks and ten activation channels. How do I tie all that together, right? How yeah. do I bring that uh, into in the, into a view that it may be modeled, it may not be one to one, it may be at some aggregate view, which is the most likely direction that we're going. Um, but I think. Again, underpinning all of that is going to be a unified unified view of your data asset, because yep. ultimately that's going to be the, the key. Um, how you decide to measure the different measurement tactics, like those are going to vary depending on where where you ultimately activate, right? By yep. spending some dollars on TV, there's going to be a different value or measurement than I do than if I spend on a mobile campaign. Like that's that's Correct. normal, that's understandable. Um, yep. But ultimately, if we're if we're thinking about this, regardless of any of the tactics that we talked about. Um, you know, clean rooms on their own aren't going to solve it. I, as a marketer and as an organization, you have to put in the hard work to say, we have a lot of confidence and trust in the first party data asset that we built so that we can then go and tap into these various tools. And ultimately, like, they're going to help me unlock the value of my data asset. I'm not going to go to them and, and, and say like, oh, now you're going to help me. Like, those are tools for me to use. They're not solutions necessarily for me to yeah. be like, oh, this is going to solve my problem. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, measurement. Me we could talk about measurement for another hour, but I, I do think, like, yeah, it, it, it's it's. You're right. You know, you mentioned identifiable data. I mean, how long was cookie tracking just targeting customers that are already customers, right? With offers that they've already just bought, right? Those solutions were lazy. They were lazy because it frustrated the customer and made the business think that they were doing their job to service the right information into the right audiences. But let's be honest. It was doing the complete opposite. So the one thing that you need to understand, in my opinion, is what is the cost to acquire a customer? How do you, what is the lifetime value of a right customer? In a B2B organization, we care about a thing called ICP, ideal customer mm -hmm. profile. Right? That matters because we don't want to sell and work with businesses who are going to leave us in 12 months time after we've invested so much time and energy in making them successful. B2C organizations need to think the same. Um, they need to start thinking about, let's not just you know give away promotions to win customers that aren't going to be around. And then more importantly, what are the match rates we're getting with the ideal customer? You know, match rates of social media platforms, I think towards the end, you know, I'm not going to give a, a, an accurate number here, but that will low, right? We're talking mm -hmm. about now, if you can use first party data to get match rates of like 80% on your high value customers, Talking a very different game here. So no, great insight, mate. Um, now we're wrapping up. Uh, the last two questions I have for you. Um, what is one skill after everything we've spoken about that you think marketers need to take away um, that will make them more effective at what they do tomorrow? Yeah, I think it's to be, uh, you know, to be agile, right? I think as, as we know, um, things are going to constantly be changing. There's going to be new offerings. Um, you know, there's going to be, you know, just in just this conversation, clean rooms, retail media networks, uh, data collaboration, like all these could be new things for marketers they didn't have to think about before. 
so how do you be agile and, and be ready to kind of, you know, test those new things out um, and, and understand which of those can bring value for me? Uh, there's going to be a bunch of different choices that I can go out and do. And ultimately, I have to be comfortable with the fact that more changes are, are coming. Yeah, you, you just never know when a big, uh, say, a big like cell phone, uh, cell phone provider decides to change their privacy rules, right? Like, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, I've lost signal. Um, like those <laughs> things are going to probably continue to happen, and I've got to be ready for that, and I got to be ready and comfortable to adapt. So, um, yeah. you know, be agile, be ready, uh, talk to partners. You know, they're going to be kind of asking probably very similar questions that, that you are. And I think uh, that that collaboration and that partnership um, can really help marketers kind of stay ahead of the game and, and understand like, Hey, this, this is what we think we can do and what we want to test. Yep. And the last one, it wouldn't be a marketing podcast without buzzwords. Maybe we dropped a few apologies in advance. Um, what is your favorite buzzword of 2022? Uh, we've absolutely dropped more than a few. So I will agree on that front. Uh, and I guess this is technically three words, but uh, retail media network is my favorite one, um, <laughs> especially with my ad tech background, uh, you know, seeing just, I don't know, I think there's been probably like 10 or 15 this year alone in the US. Um, we, and then now we're seeing things uh, like hotels are launching, um, ride shares are launching. Um, um, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be certain family members of mine that launch their own media networks. Like it's just everybody <laughs> is launching yeah. their own ones because yeah. they all want their own walled garden, you know? Uh, yes. So that, that's probably been my favorite one this year is, is seeing like, Hey, let's just see who else is going to come next. Yep. So, yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's definitely the favorite for thus far. Uh, well, I'm going to go through and count how many times we used that word in this uh, in this session and put it in the byline. Um, but mate, really appreciate it. Super insightful stuff. I mean, you know, life after cookies is a huge topic. There's a lot of avenues that we can, as as businesses and as as marketers and technologists, can think about solving the issue. But I think the summary of collaboration, you know, data, you know, using data clean rooms, monetization, using retail media networks and incentivization, trying to figure out the ways that you can incentivize customers to part with their valuable data. You know, they're the things marketers need to be thinking about. Um, and some of the work you're doing at Amperity is super cutting edge, mate. And I'm looking forward to talking about it more in the years to come. So thanks for your time. Absolutely. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Billy. Cheers, Pete.